up here, beginning a seven-week sermon series entitled, Is That Church Growing? Now, I'll tell you, the, the, the idea of the series stems from a conversation I had a few weeks ago. I was introduced to someone as a pastor, uh, you know, that's Oak Haven United Methodist Church, the way it was introduced. You know that church, right? I knew almost immediately there was some connection. If you had seen that person's eyes, you would have known it too. I knew there was some kind of connection, for good or for bad, right? Now, thankfully, it was a good connection. The person told me, I grew up in that church. My so-and-so was the whatever, and my family did this, and it was just a great place to grow up in. Now, the, place, the time and the place we had wasn't exactly didn't exactly lend itself for us to have a big conversation, but right before I was about to go do what I needed to do, the person said, I got one more question. Is that church growing? Now, of course, I was there, so I know what I said, right? But I'd be interested over the next several weeks to hear your response. Because maybe we are and we just don't realize it. Or maybe we think we are and we're really not. Or maybe we're even somewhere in between. Hard to tell. But I think it's an important question because then we get to think about, well, what does it mean to be growing as a church and as a body of Christ? And I hope that over the next several weeks, you will help me finish that question. Is that church growing? And you'll help me find answers. Now, to help us along the way to find some of those answers, we are going to be looking at selections from First and Second Timothy. Timothy is part of what we call the pastoral letters, and these are letters that are directed towards, we assume, a young man, a young preacher in training, and this is sort of the um, uh, preaching and ministry for dummies book of the ancient church, right? You've got all these things that have to do with church leadership and what you should do here and how you should handle a church, and we're going to use those for very obvious reasons because what we're trying to be here is a church of God. And as you study more and more into First and Second Timothy and some of the other pastoral letters, an issue that comes up almost immediately is authorship. And who wrote these letters? And traditionally, we've given that authority to Paul, the Apostle Paul, and said Paul wrote these, and for good reason, because some of the very first words of the letter say, "I, Paul," right? So that's kind of hey. But as you study more, you understand that this is. There's always a few more things behind that. So for every person that you can find who is sure that Paul wrote this, you can find someone else and say, well, not so fast. And both of those for very good reasons. And I tell you that just so you can know that, but also I want you to follow me that for our purposes over the next several weeks, we will go with the assumption that the Apostle Paul wrote these letters to his young friend Timothy, the preacher in training, if you will. And very quickly into the letter, you understand why it was written. Paul talked about false teachers, people who were teaching things that were not the truth that was first given to them, certainly not what Paul had given to them before. And that's important for Paul to realize, and particularly when we look at Timothy, we can see these false teachers, what they were doing was distracting the people from the truth that Paul gave. They were, as, as the letter says, occupied with other things that kept them from their divine training. 
They were occupied in the other things. I'm glad in 2,000 years we've gotten that taken care of. We don't find ourselves occupied with other things besides our divine training, right? So we're good with that. But I love that idea of divine training, right? So you thought you were getting up this morning, getting all pretty to come to church, right? And you thought, you know what, I'll make this and I'll bring this so that after church we can have something to eat. But really what you came for is some divine training. I love that. So when you go home, go put it on Facebook. Tell everybody you just got finished divinely training yourself. Right? That's, that's, that's what we're here about. Divinely training. Now, after Paul gives us that, he, he jumps in and we get this sort of, for me anyway, this again deal. Because the issue is, is people are distracting people's attention from the real gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul jumps into something that, if you've read any of his other letters or any of his other supposed letters you've heard before, Paul gives us sort of his testimony again. If you've read through the book of Acts, if you've read through a letter like Galatians or some of the other letters, you know this story. And even if you don't know anything about Paul, looking at the words that he uses to describe himself, you can kind of figure it out. He wasn't really that nice of a guy, apparently. And I think that's important, because for many people, Paul's authority rests on his conversion experience, right? So in other words, we can trust what Paul is saying, we can listen to what Paul is saying, we can learn from what Paul is saying because of how God dealt with him, because of his experience with God, because of how God got him. Now, there's something to that, that Paul reintroduces that idea. I think it's a good idea for us to know who and what we were BGG. Now, I know that's pointed, but you'll remember, right? Before grace got you, right? It's important, I think, to realize who and what we were. And I've been in some situations, and some Christians sort of take that a little bit too far, and that's all they want to talk about. Well, back in the day, let me tell you how I would handle this, right? Yeah. Let me tell you what I used to do. I, I was at the club every night, you know. I was doing this, and oh, I was this, and more proud of what they used to be instead of what they are today. Still, I think it's good to remember who and what we were before great God. Paul did. Paul remembered and Paul shared that. Now what's important for us, I think, today is that even though Paul was who he was and what he was, there was something about Paul that God wanted. There was something about who Paul was that God maybe even needed. Now I want you to imagine Paul being the lost coin that Jesus talked about. Or maybe even the lost sheep. I couldn't bring a sheep, I'm sorry. But pretend Paul is one of these lost coins and the mercy and the grace of God is going crazy looking for it. Looking for Paul. Y'all with me? It's so valuable and so needed that it was just turning over everything in the house to find it. 
And I know we got pretty floors today, so we have to use imagination a little bit. These aren't pretty floors. These are sometimes dirt floors. These are sometimes rocky floors. And they aren't pretty little coins or raggedy little coins. And they get lost. They're hard to find. But we got to find them. Y'all with me? Somebody. Okay. Thank you. And for some people, this experience with God that Paul had gives him all the authority to be able to teach. I'm not discounting that at all. I think that's important. Paul realizes who and what he used to be and how God pulled him from that. But if you continue to read about Paul and read some of his letters, you realize, I think, Paul isn't so convinced that his authority is based on something that happened a long time ago. At least not just just based on something that happened a long time ago. But that the authority that he has now is based on his ongoing relationship with his risen Lord. Does that make sense? It wasn't just back in the day, this is what God did, and so now I can deal with it. It's, you know what, right now God is dealing with me. Right now God is working in me. Right now I am just as committed to God as I was when I first happened. And because of that, more than anything I can have the authority to teach and to preach the good news of Jesus Christ. What God is doing. Now, now for me, here's what's kind of ironic about that. Paul tells us what he used to be, right? A persecutor and a blasphemer, a violent man. Now think about that. Paul was a Pharisee. Now some of us have negative images of Pharisee, and maybe we should, maybe we shouldn't know, but at the very least, as a Pharisee, we can say that Paul took this Bible stuff very seriously. He he didn't call it a Bible, but he knew his Bible forward and backwards. He had most of it memorized, probably. He was trained by the best with regard to this stuff. He didn't call it a church, but every Sunday morning, there he was at church. Anytime the door was open, he was there. But, he had never received or never experienced the grace of God or the mercy of God. Until that moment he talked about. Now think about this. Knowing everything he did, it wasn't until he experienced that grace. Because once he did, God's mercy and God's grace changed everything from then on. Now we can make some distinctions about, about mercy and grace, and there are some things different, and grace is kind of this, and mercy is kind of that, and that's fine, but essentially the two can be coupled so well together. And essentially it comes down to that these are actions or attitudes, favorable actions or attitudes that are unmerited. In other words, Someone wrongs you, but instead of wronging them, you show them mercy. Or someone cheats you, instead of cheating them, you offer to them mercy or grace. And God is saying that that is what, Paul is saying that that is what God showed to him. And of course, what God shows to us. Friends, mercy and grace came everywhere. Say that with me. Mercy and grace changed everything. It was true for Paul, 
And friends, let me tell you, it is just as true for us today. I want you to imagine yourself as the lost kid. I, I want you to pretend in your mind that you were the one Jesus was talking about when had in his mind the lost hand. You, friends, are that valuable and that much needed that God's mercy and God's grace is going to be not trying to get your attention, trying to find you. And I know you know that, you know, you're not the most perfect of coins. You're a little rough around the edges a little bit. A little dirty, right? And I, and I know you got some bad habits. And I know, you know, you do this and you do that. I know you got the potty mouth. And I know this is going on. And I know you still got this issue. And you think, you know what? Nobody's looking for me. That's wrong. God is always, always, Grace and mercy comes together. Imagine there you are. You have to think, well, why would God want us? Well, certainly I don't think we were designed to live as a lost coin because if that coin is there on that floor and it falls into a crevice of the floor and then to stay there so nobody can find it, right? And it gets swept over and over again and dirt gets piled on it. And the little animals start crawling. This is, that's not a way to live. And it's certainly not the life God intends for us. I don't think. But it's God's grace and mercy that, that, that sees that point. Sadly, we, we have this idea that maybe we have to find ourselves first. Maybe we got to dust ourselves off first, and then come to this church stuff, this God stuff, that turns out it's totally God is the one doing the church. God is the one finding us. Now, is that church growing? That is our question, considering all that we've said so far. And I got to tell you, sadly, I think many churches are not because it's hard to be graceful, isn't it? It's hard to show mercy, isn't it? <laughs> it is. Even with people you love. And why aren't some churches growing? Because, of, you know, you've seen the looks before. Someone comes into a church who you can tell it's very apparent they need a little grace and mercy, right? Don't they know they can go down the road? What are they, now what are they doing? You know what? You laugh, but that's what a lot of churches do. Oh, what about the person who comes in where you can't tell? They need a little grace and mercy. Because some of us are really good actors. Either way. 
I think a church that wants to grow, say this church, for example, then this place needs to be a place where anybody can come in and receive grace. They can come and experience God in a mighty way, but they can also receive grace and mercy from everybody. Because for many people, the only way they're going to know that, that, that God is looking for them is if somebody is willing to smile at them. Y'all with me? We need to be a people who let grace happen. So is that church growing? Well, I think we need to ask a couple more questions for us, for us this week. Well, first, we need to ask, how happy are they when they find the lost coin? Do they rejoice? Y'all with me? We're not talking about coins anymore, are we? Do they rejoice when they find that coin? And the second question we need to ask is, how much are they helping to look for those coins? Hmm? Answer those two questions, and then we can decide, we can have another conversation about whether that church is growing. We can be a people who let grace happen so that this can be a place where we don't just see who and what we are right now, but by God's grace and mercy, we can see what we can all do. It seems to me that that church that is growing intentionally makes itself a place where grace happens. Would you pray this? Loving God, your grace and mercy are calling out for us. We thank you, God, because before we have ever cared about you, there you were. Dying for us. Thank you, God, for your love that extends to each one of us, despite who we are, what we've done. We have the assurance that we can be made new, like this man. So, for that life, he is hearing that message for the very first time. And for those lives who are hearing this message, maybe for the very first time in a long time. And we all rejoice at the good work you are doing in your people. In Christ's name.